When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No brakes. No brakes. No fear. No fear. The official British Speedway podcast. Welcome along to another episode of British Speedway's official podcast as the 2023 season officially draws to a close. I'm Ian Brannan. In this episode, I'm joined by two Speedway journalists you've probably read the words of in the Speedway Star, and maybe you've heard him and seen him on Eurosport. Dave Rowe and Ryan Guest join me to look back on the 2023 season across all three leagues, the Premiership, the Championship, the National Development League, and also look ahead to what 2024 might have in store. And we also hear from the winner of the Under-19 Championships, which finally got underway, the weather just about permitting at Perry Bar in Birmingham, for Dan Thompson to claim his first major individual championship the British Under-19 Champion 2023. All that and much more to come, hopefully answering some of your questions as we head towards the AGM in mid-November. All on the way in the next hour or so on No Breaks, No Fear. No Breaks, No Fear. The official British Speedway podcast. Welcome along. I'm Ian Brannan, and uh, joining me in this episode are uh, Ryan Guest and Dave Rowe. And I think between all three of us, with my work on on BSN, with uh, Ryan's work reporting for the Speedway Star and being centre green announcer at, at three clubs, and uh, Dave also being busy uh, commentating with Eurosport and and doing um, live streams and and what have you as well, and and the coverage for the SEC and and much more besides. We, we've we reckon we've seen around about two hundred meetings between us this season and some of them we've, we've actually been all present in the same location but very very rarely so we've got a good spread uh, not just across British Speedway but across Europe as well so we're going to aim to look back on what we've seen and uh, also ahead to, to what the future might hold starting at Perry Bar Ryan you're on the centre green for this one the British under 19 championships finally the weather permitting and well it only just permitted by the way and uh, we got a result though and it required a runoff which was a bit of a one-horse race in the end but congratulations to Dan Thompson becoming the British under-19 champion yeah obviously it's been a, a meeting that's been a, a long time coming fair play to the, the 16 riders at the, the the initial stage and at the end of June and um, they all gave it a go in and trust me it was horrendous conditions um, so much so that we had to get a new mic system for, for Perry Bar because the rain killed that off um, but yeah so obviously it's been a long time coming obviously with Wednesday's a uh, a popular race night in the in the championship and and with Oxford in the NDL some weeks as well. It was all about trying to get uh, the, the same rider availability. Uh, but yeah, a strange one from a, a Birmingham perspective as well because it was seven weeks since the previous meeting at Perry Bar with a, a gap in the fixtures um, and the rain and everything else. 
but yeah, again, uh, some some fine action. It was nicely nicely poised throughout with, like you say, Nathan Ableton and Dan Thompson, more or less head to head the the entire way through. Uh, Joe Thompson and, and Ben Trigger certainly uh, kept them honest throughout as well. Like you say, it's a, it came down to a, a runoff with both riders tied on on fourteen points apiece, and after entertaining uh, first couple of bends anyway, Nathan Ablett making the gate uh, from the inside and it's in the front, Dan Thompson uh, cutting back on the inside and then uh, drama on, on Ben 3 when Nathan Ablett came down. My initial reaction was that there was no contact, uh, that was something that uh, the SCB referee Simon Humphrey Kennita agreed with and something of a, an anti-climax obviously, a, a great build-up um, to, to get it to a runoff and, and the title to be decided in that way. Like you say, for that runoff to be over by uh, Ben Three of the opening lap, something of a, an anticlimax for, for for the spectators watching on. But for Dan Thompson, a, a great moment and a, a fully deserved first major major individual honour on his CV. Yeah, congratulations to to Dan Thompson, who's um, well. The, 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 both of the Thompsons have had a bit of a mixed season, haven't they? And uh, found themselves out of work at points, uh, and then very much in the thick of things come the the end of the season. So it's uh, sort of all turned out well in the end for for the for the pair of them, really, in in different ways. Yeah, speaking to to Dan Thompson on on the interview afterwards as well, he he, he almost said because obviously I think it was the at the end of August or mid August he dislocated his shoulder. Um, and at one point during that comeback process, it wasn't going quite as planned. And he revealed how um, how he was essentially been given thought to to write the rest of the season off and and focus on 2024. But like you say, um, no matter what happens throughout the rest of his career, now people will always be able to look back and and see that he was the British Under 19 champion of of 2023. So uh, yeah, like you say, it's been a a, a very rocky um, up and down season for both the Thompson boys on and off track. Um, and I th- to be fair, I think with everything they have had going on off track in terms of being swapped and changed at clubs and being released, introduced and, and all the rest of it. Um, I think when they look back on the, the overall performances of, of 2023, I think they'll be relatively satisfied. And it's certainly going to be a year that, that, that should stand them in good stead in terms of uh, learning and experience going forward as well. Well, you mentioned doing that interview with him afterwards. Uh, let's hear it now. Dan Thompson chatting to Ryan Guest after he'd sealed the British Under-2019 title. Well, Dan Thompson, 2023 British Under-19 champion. How does that feel? Yeah, it feels amazing. I had uh, one slip-up in one of my heats, and, you know, in these meetings, you can't have any slip-ups. So, uh, uh, no, I, for the rest of the night, I had to um, be on my A game because Nathan was going well. And, uh, yeah, I was making starts in the end and made some good changes. So happy with that. Yeah, like you say, Nathan Ablett certainly kept you on your toes. Uh, both scoring 14 points in the in the qualifying heats. It came down to to a runoff and a, a bit of an anticlimax from the spectators' point of view. But you'll certainly take it. Came came charging hard into Ben Three. Yeah, you know it's a it's a final. Obviously, both of us wanted to win, and uh, the ref obviously had a big decision to make, and it went in my favour. So uh, yeah, uh, I've got to say congratulations to Nathan. He was riding really well and has been all year. So. Uh, yeah, I'm just chuffed with that. It's easy to forget as well. You've been off the bike for, for quite a while with injuries as well, haven't you? Yeah, I've been out for over two months now and uh, I've only had one practice. So uh, it's been difficult. I did think halfway through I was just going to write the season off and think about next year. But um, 
I'm so glad I didn't. Yeah, so glad you didn't. And like you say, you've had a lot to do with the, the young line set up right from the, the, the start of your junior career as well. So to win the British Under-19 final at the at the, the final time of asking the last time you're ineligible, that, that must mean a lot to, for everything you've come through and the way you've progressed. Yeah, I mean, I've had obviously uh, a lot of uh, unlucky times in these sort of events. The, uh, the under-21s at Glasgow earlier in the year, I was leading that for three laps and uh, threw it away on the last lap. But uh, I'm pleased to get my first title under my belt and uh, yeah, I'll have a few more goes at the under-21 one as well. Dan Thompson, congratulations to the 2023 British Under-19 champion. Thank you. Dan Thompson then, new British under-19 champion and congratulations to him. He was in action in the very final meeting of the regular season. Of course, everything's wrapped up now. The National Development League grand final was the one thing that was still outstanding um, and the knockout cup in the National League as well. Um, you have been, Dave, to a couple of potential stagings of uh, fixtures to, to cover this at Leicester, um, as, as we've discussed. Um, it has now fully wrapped up. Up, of course um, we'll talk about the knockout cup first because that was um, resolved without a wheel being turned in the end and uh, Mildenhall have won the cup but people are asking the questions Dave they, they were down um, on aggregate at uh, you know the, the halfway stage but yeah, yeah won the title what was the decision there that uh, forced really the the, uh, the the trophy to go to West Row well obviously this is all discussed on on Monday following the uh, the planned staging on on Sunday afternoon of the double header, which was going to be Leicester Oxford in the league grand final, and then the the Mildenhall Cup final. They uh, had had extensive rain once again at Leicester on the Saturday night. Uh, they'd done a great job actually to get the track in a, in the condition it was, but unfortunately it was still, uh, as it turned out, too grippy, as it was found out via track testing and riders crashing on their own on on track testing. So I don't think um, anyone who saw that would disagree with the decision to, uh, to to call it off um, and that obviously was the second time that uh, that Mildenhall had been to to Leicester um, and been unable to ride due to the uh, the conditions the time of year whatever um, and clearly the situation it, the, the reaction to what's happened with Mildenhall now being awarded the the KO Cup you will uh, have a different view uh, according to, to which team you support or, or follow or what you believe um, clearly Leicester had won at Mildenhall in the first leg of the final they won in fact all three of their uh, knockout cut matches so far this season. Um, other side of the coin is that Mildenhall had managed to stage their event, and and I do get the the frustration of Mildenhall in that they uh, qualified for the knockout cup final in April um, and have been waiting all year to to stage it. The difficulty is when you're dealing with tracks who have got other commitments in other leagues. Um, Leicester were due to stage their semi-final against Workington in early August. That got rained off um, and rearranged in a doubleheader in early September. Um, and then obviously the final was pushed into into October. Um, it's a again. It's a, I don't think Mildenhall didn't want to win the, the competition in this way quite clearly. Um, and yeah, had, had it been. Had it been raced on track, then they would have been very, very, very long odds given the situation with the tie in the first leg. Uh, and to be fair, the team they were having to put out for the second leg as well and Leicester's home record. Um, you can never say never, but that that was the likely the likely situation. Um, so it's simply one of those that everyone's going to have a view on it. And, and that was the decision taken, uh, I believe, on the basis that they couldn't Obviously, they weren't going to go into November to restage because the forecast is so bad for the first few days of November as well. Um, and Mildenhall did manage to complete their their meeting at, at West Row, so uh, that was the 
decision. I can fully understand that there are going to be differing views on on that decision. Yeah, but congratulations to Mildenhall. They uh, are the, the, the winners of, of the Knockout Cup and that's the, the thinking behind uh, how it was resolved. The National Development League itself then came down to a one-off event in the end. Uh, again, you know, because mentioned about the, the double-header situation there and the rain and everything. So um, it was decided that it was all on Oxford on um, Tuesday night. Um, conditions far from perfect. They were keeping an eye on the forecast throughout the day, decided that um, it was it was doable, and they got 12 heats in. Unfortunately, uh, the evening was ended by a huge crash for Max Perry, which I'm sure you can update us on uh, his situation at the time of recording as well. And uh, it was very close at the time um, that this event happened, this crash happened in heat 12. Um, only a two-point lead for Oxford, but the meeting curtailed, and Oxford are the National League champions. Yeah, well, congratulations to the Chargers who are um, a, a team built very similar to, to Leicester the two, the two excellent teams full of good young riders um, so absolutely congratulations to, to Oxford um, with the uh, decision that was agreed on, on Monday it would be a, a one-off um, grand final and they actually did an outstanding job themselves to get the meeting on after what apparently was a uh, very heavy downpour uh, mid-afternoon or early, early afternoon at, at Cowley uh, they got the meeting on they pushed it through uh, I'm told that conditions were um, slippery to start off with there were a few uh, a few miles falls and incidents but generally good racing conditions and uh, and a good contest between two good teams um so it was obviously building up to a to a big finale um two points in it with with four heats to go um and you look at the races everyone can have their predictions as to, as to what might have happened you certainly look at heats 13 and 15 and see two very good national league riders from each team in in those races and and who knows what what may have went on but as it turned out um sadly the the big crash for for Max Perry um and then whilst he was being attended to and that obviously took all the time required quite rightly um then during that time the rain which was forecast throughout the evening did move in and it got too bad to even contemplate um uh, contemplate uh, restarting the meeting so at that point uh, 10 heats or 11 heats have been completed so a result can be declared and Oxford were in front at the time so as had been agreed on the Monday um the result of that that one-off final was was declared the National League outcome yeah, the Oxford Chargers then, the champions of the National Development League. Of course, as you mentioned, they're curtailed by that crash involving young Max Perry. We know more about his condition now, don't we, Dave? Um, some serious injuries. He's going to face quite a long time on the sidelines. Um, obviously, a 16-year-old lad, this is going to be quite major for him, and we hope that he can make a, a full recovery and, and get back to racing because he's a very good prospect for the future yeah really sorry for him obviously you don't want you don't want to see it happen to anyone um especially you know in the in the, in the last race of the season for for him and uh, the word as we record this is that he needs he requires two operations on on wednesday um to sort out his uh, right wrist and right ankle it sounds like the the right side of his body took a took a real battering um and there was a uh, worrying um, report at, at the time that there was a possibility that he had um, suffered a stroke. Um, thankfully, the physical test that he then had to undergo um, confirmed that wasn't the case because that would obviously be, be highly concerning. And you're looking at, uh, as you say, a, a young rider's life, future, career, and everything. And he's got he's got a bright career ahead of him in Speedway uh, as long as he hopefully makes makes a, a full and quick recovery from this so just hope the operation goes according to plan um, and that he's then got uh, 
the weeks and months he needs to uh, to get back. We've seen it done before. We've seen young riders have big crashes. Perhaps the best example is, is Dan Bewley um, in 2018, I think it was. Um, and look at where he ended up uh, shortly after. And he's still having you know, operations dating back to that right now. So um, all the best wishes to, to Max Sabway for it to, to finish the season for him. And, and again, I don't think certainly Oxford wouldn't have wanted them to themselves to, to win the title and to be confirmed the title by a meeting being curtailed after that incident. So we send our very best to Max. Yeah, best wishes to Max. Congratulations to the Oxford Chargers, though. They uh, have done it and uh, they uh, won the championship. Um, I did notice in the pictures, though, and this is a question you can maybe answer, and I think I might know the answer, but anyway, Bert Harkins appeared with both teams at the presentation of the of the trophies. He wasn't riding as number eight for both sides, was he? He's not making a comeback. He wasn't. <laughs> he, he certainly wasn't, no. Um, Oxford, of course, Oxford Chargers backed by the uh, by the WSRA. Um, so I'm assuming that that was his uh, his part in the in the presentation. So so yeah, but good to good to see him there. Yes, good to see him. I, I, I did wonder. I thought is is this is this the start of the comeback? He's looking for a, a team place in 2024. But uh, no, he's uh, one of the one of the sponsors of the of the event, and certainly for the Chargers, isn't he as uh, as well? Um, people will ask. And I'm just asking this question because this is the question that people are talking about. Um, obviously, the the se- the National League season began. Um, the early April, when everything else began, um, how how have we got? When when you consider the amount of teams we've got, the amount of fixtures we've got, how have we managed to end up at the end of October and with a curtailed season in the National League? I don't like it at all. Um, it's not a it's not a good conclusion. As I mentioned, to two two for t- two good teams, the best two teams in the league, uh, who should have been fighting out a final, a grand final. They were there was one match point between them, a one race point between them when they raced in the in the regular season. It had all the makings of one of the best National League grand finals we've seen, with with lots of good talented riders. Why we're in this situation, um well, let's date back to uh, last year's AGM when it was decided that the playoffs for the National League would be contested by just the top two uh, rather than the top four. And the reason was quite simple because there are so many teams in the National Development League who also operate at a higher level. And it was felt that if those clubs were busy or, or needed their stadiums to run playoffs in the Premiership or the Championship, then that would could, could easily cause some fixture congestion in the National League. So that was why the playoffs were, were cut back. Um, and of course, exactly what played out has happened. Um, Leicester were in the mix for the Premiership playoffs, um, didn't quite make it, of course. So they went out in early September. Oxford, of course, were in the mix right all the way for the Championship Grand Final, missed out in the uh, in the group stage of the playoffs, the very last meeting at Glasgow, which I think was on the 5th of October. So naturally, um, Oxford would not want to be running um, National League playoffs during that time. They had several riders involved in, in, in both teams. Um, and naturally, Leicester, as, um, as league leaders, um, had the right to the second leg initially as well. So that's probably why... Um, given that they both qualified for both officially qualified themselves for the National League Grand Final in late September, um, the obvious answer would be well, hope, you know, preference would have been to stage this Grand Final in uh, in, in early October, and that was certainly the intention uh, last winter when this all, when all this was mooted. Um, unfortunately, as I say, um, when the, when it was arranged in mid October, it then got called off at both venues. Um, and then it's just gone on from there. And, and unfortunately, the weather has been so bad during the back end of um, of October. It's not been for the want of trying, certainly in terms of Leicester have tried to run meetings, have been pumping off 
huge amounts of water, but the, the, the track hasn't responded on the on the first two bends. Oxford had, had two or three goes and, uh, and bad weather. It is not ideal, and it is not... You, you could say it's not fair. It ends up with a a one-legged grand final on on one circuit. Of course, last year, Leicester made the final and ended up running their home leg on the neutral track of Kings Lynn, but there was a, a second leg at um, at Mildenhall as well, which, which which Leicester won. Um, it's just, it's not ideal for anyone. And what the answer would have been or should have been, given the the number of clubs that do run at both levels and being involved in, in, in senior events... Um, it's very, it's very hard to say, and to certainly to end up on the thirty first of October with a one off grand final between two such good teams, um, yeah, is, is not what anyone wanted or expected to happen. So, what happens next then, Dave? We've got the AGM coming up. Um, I think we need to address the national league situation because it is going to um, maybe explain the story further down the line when we come to talking about how the championship might look um, clearly there are going to be changes we're hearing of, of teams that are not going to be running and you know the word is that this level of speedway is, is going to be very different in uh, in 2024 well we're waiting for uh, official confirmation again of, of what the structure will be um, we know for certain obviously that Workington are going to be going up um, after one successful year back in the NDL at uh, Northside for their first first year there. And we know that Berwick have stated that they want to concentrate firmly on, on championship next season and after the Bullets have been racing for, for three years not to run at NDL level, although they've very much stated they want to carry on with the, the youth progression process. And I know a number of tracks want to do that as well. So there are going to be changes because we are lacking very much the standalone clubs at National League level. Obviously, Workington moving up, um, as we've said. Um, Kent have, have done wonders to uh, to keep going at, at Iwaid after the closure of Central Park. Mildenhall as well have been stable members of that, of that league for a number of years. The situation is clearly going to change. What needs to happen, obviously, is whatever is put in place has to provide considerable opportunities and, and regular opportunities for the young riders. Now, we'll talk about the championship and the likelihood is that there will be several graduates from the National League in the championship next year. But there's also plenty of what I would call second string and and also newcomer riders to National League who do need those regular opportunities. So I think the crucial thing is what's put in place for them if we don't have the National League as it as it currently exists, which would be a shame because it's run for 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 many years uh, under various different guises. Um, so it would be nice to think that that it could continue in some form. But we've certainly got to have competitive, regular racing for the youngsters. It's such a spread of, of talent and experience in the National League, though, isn't it? And you've got the likes of Lee Complin, for example, who uh, obviously has won a league title with Glasgow in the Championship. And so, you know, his experience is, is without doubt. You've got riders like uh, Dan Thompson currently, who, of course, has been riding at National League level and has progressed now. And so probably it's time for him to leave the National League behind, you'd, you'd probably argue. But then you've got these other riders who are stuck, maybe not quite there yet at Championship level, but over the next season might be maybe Max James, Vinnie Ford, um, Sam McGurk obviously is is a a case in point who's making the step up. So it it is still uh, a good ground to to get valuable experience. Look look through the teams in the the grand final, look look through the Leicester and the Oxford teams and you'll see several riders, you'll see how Oxford have made it work in terms of uh, combining riders from 
teams in, in, in running teams in both the National Development League and, and the Championship and how that system has worked. Look at the Leicester team. You mentioned Max Perry. Look at people like Max James and, and Vinnie Ford who are coming through as talented teenagers. Not Championship yet, quite clearly, but uh, clearly got the uh, the possibility of, of being there in the future. So there has to be that, that, that stepping stone and that regular way of racing. You mentioned Dan Thompson, who's been racing National League since... 2019 I don't think would have been at this le- that level this year but for the fact he didn't get a championship place at the start of this season so really had to make sure he was racing NDL to to keep on on riding so I think it comes down to the fact that we have to protect the interests of the the young Brits whether they're two point riders or five and a half point riders in the championship make sure they are racing regularly and, and get competitive track time you're listening to No Breaks, No Fear, the official British Speedway podcast. I'm Ian Brannan, joined by Dave Rowe and Ryan Guest, two Speedway journalists, writers and broadcasters, uh, with their thoughts on how the season's gone and looking ahead to well, what we might be able to expect from the AGM and uh, heading towards 2024 as well. In part two, we turn our attention to the Sports Insure Premiership. The Sheffield Tigers claim their first top-flight title ever. And Ryan Guest, who's with us, was the centre green guy. So uh, we'll have a chat with him about that and the rest of the Premiership in the next part of No Breaks, No Fear. No Breaks, No Fear, the official British Speedway podcast. Welcome back. You're listening to No Breaks, No Fear, the official podcast of British Speedway. Every week through the season, of course, at the time of recording this, we are at the back end of the 2023 season. Uh, we will have another episode to come, though, uh, after the AGM. We will round up everything once it's all been made official. So uh, we're not done yet, not by any stretch. Right now, though, we're turning our attention on the Sports Insure Premiership. It's been a big season. And, um, well, the first time the Sheffield Tigers have claimed a top flight title it went right down to the wire though didn't it and uh, the Sheffield Tigers in the end holding aloft that trophy uh, Ryan Guest is with us and Ryan has been the centre green announcer through the course of the season at Ollerton and well I mean frankly you know they would not won any titles um, in any era previously that uh, you w- weren't the announcer so I think you probably have some share in this glory they couldn't have done it without you Ryan but it has been an incredible year for uh, for the Sheffield Tigers of course lots will be said about how many riders they used and guests and stuff but what do you expect them to do when they've got so many injuries uh, but ultimately uh, a glorious year for Simon Stead, Damian Bates and everyone else associated with the club. Yeah it's been a it's been a special journey for for the Tigers um Almost everyone will be aware of the uh, of the story with when the Bateses and and that consortium with with Peter Mole came on board and and took over the club and they tried a few things at, at second tier level um, and and tried to get it working. I mean, even in 2019 when they uh, switched their traditional Thursday race day because of the the, the set format for. Um, set race nights they tried as Sundays didn't work at all and like you say decisions had to be made ahead of 2020 they decided to move up into the the top flight of, of British Speedway um, I think Sheffield were one of the very few clubs to actually have their uh, press day just before everything was locked down as well um, and there, there was still all talk throughout that 2020 year that this was the start of something special for, for Sheffield and it really has been um, a, a great progression from everyone involved at Ollerton as well. Like you say, to, to reach the, the playoffs in any form in your first season in, in the top division is a, a remarkable achievement, which is what it was. 
uh, obviously l- last year um, such a, a cruel, cruel blow, and we're not going to go into the the ins and outs of the the, the 2022 grand final and and the playoffs and and things that went on in the build up. But nevertheless, it was another step in the right direction by becoming runners up. So the talk was all about this year making that next step, which was to become champions. And when you looked at the teams on paper before the start of the season, I think it's fair to say a lot of people fancied Sheffield to be there or thereabout. We know things didn't go right with some riders, with the likes of Davy Balego and, and Adam Ellis. Um, and then, like you say, just as they thought they were getting somewhere on track, these injuries struck. And they're, they're not just... look. Any rider who gets injured, it's a, it's a blow for the team in 99% of cases. Um, like you say, Dan Jilks, a fast-progressing rising star. He was banging the points in down a reserve. Jack Holder, obviously, easily, easily his best season on the shale as well. Uh, obviously, they brought in Ty Woofingham, which was absolutely superb from a, a marketing and promotional point of view for the club. He gets injured. Toby Mushalak gets injured. And you just thought, this is all going wrong at, at, at completely the wrong time here. But um, for them to, to get over the line, to continue that progression in the manner that they did as well, when I think everyone away from Olderton had probably written the chances off after that first leg at Foxhall, um, it was absolutely superb. And like you say, the, the instant talk, even like in the bar half an hour after the celebrations had started to, to calm down in the rain outside, it was all about 2024, who was going to be back, and what they can do, not only to retain the title, but now they want to go into the double. Hey, that is it. There's always something else to be won, isn't there? There's always uh, another another thing to to, to aim for. Um, Sheffield used. Do you know how many riders Sheffield used last season? I did count it up on a dull train journey. In terms in terms of full signings or in, with guests? No, no. And any any humans that have uh, ridden a speedway bike for Sheffield this last year. I dread to think with with like you say what what went on with so many riders, but come on, let's 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 delve into your train journey numbers. For, for, well, this is it, you know. So it may not be entirely one hundred percent accurate. I'm fairly sure. I'm fairly sure. Sheffield used twenty five different riders through the course of the season, uh, even though it was one off guests um, or you know full signings. Incidentally, Kings Lynn used exactly the same. They also got through twenty five riders. Um, Leicester used sixteen. Bellevue for, um, fourteen. Peterborough 17, Ipswich 11, and Wolves 10. So if anybody says we've stuck with the same seven all season, that is not true. Uh, Wolves are the closest with 10 different individuals turning out in Wolves colours. Um, so you see, everybody use guests. Well, I did have a panic when I turned up one meeting and they'd got a race jacket with guest on the back. I know that. I thought my roles changed here this week. Won't be Speedway without a guest appearance. <laughs> So there we go. Anyway, so that's Sheffield, and uh, they they won the title. Um, well done to them. And um, now the job is to to try and retain as many of those riders as possible, isn't it? And this is always the thing. We talked about this with Midlow. We've, we've spoken about it um, with uh, with Peter Fasena on the previous episode. That this is one of the things with Speedway, isn't it? You 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 have a fantastic year, successful year, and then the points limit comes either remains the same or comes tumbling down, and um, somebody somewhere has got to make way usually. So where where do you where do you see the decisions being made for Sheffield potentially then? I think Damien Bates, Simon Stead and the rest of them who who get together and discuss these things will have a certain headache and it's a nice headache to have because at the end of the day I don't care what the points limit is it's not going to facilitate Jack Holder, Tobias Mushalak, 
Ty Woffington, uh, Chris Holder was obviously there at the end of the year. Josh Pickering. I mean, you can't you can't fit all of those in into a, a team, no matter what the the points limit is realistically going to be. And at the same time, all of those riders are going to want to be back at Sheffield because they they love racing for the Tigers and they're going to want to race for the reigning champions. So it's going to be a nice headache, um, like I say, for Damian Bates and Simon Stead to have. And who do you leave out, out of those names that I've just mentioned? Realistically, definitely one, more than likely two of those names have got to miss out. And how do you do it? Because you look at the record, not only around Allerton, but what they um, do on the road, what they bring to the, the pits and the, the team camaraderie and everything else. And um, someone will unfairly be left out of Sheffield this year. But like you say, that's uh, part of the part of the punishment, if you like, for, for, for being being league champions. It is a problem that every team's going to have, isn't it? I think most teams are going to have to make some changes somewhere along the way. It's very rare to see the full seven retained year after year. Um, Dave, let's just talk about Ipswich. They were the, the runners-up. They came very close. They won the uh, the Knockout Cup, of course. So they got some silverware, their first silverware since uh, that great year of 1998, in fact. So um, they must now be, obviously, Sheffield looking to win the double. Um, same for, for Ipswich. They, they've got that taste of silver aware and looking to kick on yeah what an incredible rollercoaster it was for, for Ipswich for certainly the first half of the season it looked like they were a team obviously been assembled with lots of ambition it wasn't quite working out for them certainly the uh, arrival of Emil Saifudinov to partner Jason Doyle or to be his partner in each 13 and 15 added so much to the premiership this year definitely in terms of crowds wherever they were racing and the, the quality of action and the results they got as a, as a combination. But as a team, they weren't quite clicking. They then had that good run. Uh, they benefited from the, uh, the the problems at Leicester uh, to make it into, into the playoffs. And I'm sure that having um, taken out the defending champions, Bellevue, and that was a really dramatic semi-final, um, and then getting 18 points against Sheffield in the in the grand final, they, they would have felt that that was, uh, that was enough to win it. Um, I don't think anyone really foresaw, certainly you talked to, talk to the Sheffield people afterwards, they were very, um, still not confident, but certainly upbeat after the first leg. I remember an interview I did with, jo- with Josh Pickering after the first leg where he was very, very upbeat, we can still do this, but I'm sure Ipswich, Ipswich definitely travelled to Alberton Stadium with the expectation of being crowned champions. And on the night, they were just beaten by the better team. There's no, there was no controversy about it. Uh, I don't even think they rode particularly badly. I just think Sheffield were outstanding on the night. And Ipswich can therefore take a look back on, on a season where, yes, they did falter at the final hurdle, but they've taken a, a giant step forward, both on and off the track, and, and the, the crowds at Foxhall, um, I think, realistically everyone will will hope that they can pair the same top two again next year obviously it will depend on points limits and what they want to do elsewhere on the side but Richie Hawkins was very clear um, he wants to maintain the bulk of the team if he can because he's got a, str- a strong unit um, so yes knockout cup was was a success they've got to silverware in the cabinet and it was disappointing for them at the end but they can look back on a, on, a, on a very good and a dramatic year. Obviously, there's a couple of teams that are not going to be part of the the Premiership this year. Um, let's let's cover those off now, and we'll start with Wolves because that's probably your speciality subject, uh, Ryan. Um, you've been involved uh, there 
over the years, you know, on the mic, um, both in the box and on the centre green over, over the time and obviously regularly there um, reporting for, for this podcast, for the Speedway Star and, and various others. And now Wolves had their farewell meeting at Monmore um, last Monday at the time of recording this and everything's now been taken down and the Wolves uh, have moved out of Monmore officially now. Yeah, it's such a such a strange feeling, like you say, less than... One week after the the uh, we'll meet again trophy, the the farewell meeting at Monmouth Green, um, more or less more or less ordered from what I understand to, to to get as much out as they can. And like you say, six days after that last meeting, all the back straight fence ripped out, all the all the air fences uh, taken away. Um, I, to be honest, I still can't get my head around it. I was there on the on the Monday night of the farewell meeting. And I stood looking out um, from the pits, looking at the crowd, hearing the atmosphere, just looking at everything. And it even now, it still hasn't sunk in that that place isn't going to be staging Speedway next season because, like you say, it's it's still going to be sat there. And I think that's what makes it even more frustrating for um, for everyone involved. And like you say, when we discussed it earlier in the in the year on the podcast, it's it's even more bizarre because. If you were gonna, if you were gonna list clubs who uh, are in danger or, or anything like that, you'd never put Wolverhampton in that bracket. It was a, a bolt out of the blue. It's been, um, it's been difficult to, to handle and, and go along with all season. And it would have been, obviously, it would have been the, the fairy tale ending if they, if if they could have done it. But you've you, you've spoken um, about numbers of, of riders used. When you started going through the list of uh, numbers used by Premiership teams, it didn't surprise me at all that. Wolverhampton were, were bottom of uh, that list because Chris Van Stratton and Peter Adams, they've had a um, a very loyal service to their riders. Even from when I was a, a youngster watching on the terraces, they remain loyal to the riders who remain loyal to them. Could there have been changes in the build-up to the playoffs? Potentially. If certain other clubs are known to be ruthless, they may have made one or two changes, um, but I never thought that was going to be the case at Wolverhampton. And to be honest, they weren't as dominant as they have usually been at Monmouth Green this season. We saw, it seemed like there was a run of last heat deciders. I think it was four or five mid-season with super heats galore. I know they had that massive route over, over Kings Lynn, but with, with all due respect to Kings Lynn, that was nothing too major to, to shout about the way things were shaping up at the time. Um, and like you say, Wolverhampton got into the playoffs and then, unfortunately, I have no idea what has gone wrong on, on playoff nights with Wolverhampton, particularly at Monmouth Green in recent seasons. It's a horrendous run they've been on in terms of de- defeats uh, when it comes to the crunch. And, yeah, it was a, a disappointing way for, for, for it to end in, in, uh, in, the, in the league campaign, in, in the playoffs and the semifinals again. Some big name riders in the Wolves team now who are looking for uh, another club. Hopefully they will find somewhere in this country, of course, um, so that we do get to see them in British Speedway. You're talking of Sam Masters, Steve Worrell. Um, Zach Cook was awarded the, the rider of the, the season, wasn't he, at the, um, at the presentation at the weekend. Um, you know, some bigger, and Luke Becker, of course, who's you know trying to get himself into the Grand Prix series uh, over the next couple of years or so and is, is one of the reserves for this, this next season too. So some, you know, opportunities there for for other teams now to come in and and take these riders, all being well uh, for for everyone's benefit. But um, obviously, places are, are at a premium, aren't they? And uh, it's not always that easy. Yeah, very strange for a lot of those riders. I've I've just talked about the the loyalty from the Wolverhampton management to the riders. It's somewhere they felt safe and secure, and 
as far as they were concerned, they were probably going to be there next season. Someone like Sam Masters had more or less committed his top flight um, future and, and career to, to Wolverhampton as well. He, he's openly said that in interviews. So it's going to be a very strange feeling for those riders that are, are familiar turnouts at, at Monmouth Green. Uh, Zach Cook, he was an unknown quantity at that level coming into this season, obviously handed his... Um, Debut spot with the Wolves, recommended by some of his Australian teammates in the end as well. But he was absolutely fantastic all season down at reserve. Came up with some massive, massive points. Never scored a 15-point maximum at second tier, but he managed that in that route over Kings Lynn uh, that I mentioned as well. Um, and like you say, it's it's got to be unnerving times for those riders as well, because like you say, less clubs in the top flight mean there's going to be some riders who've ridden in that division this year that won't be there next year. Um so some uncertain times. I know there was a big debate last year over uh, Leon Flint with the rising star position as well. And I know um, Chris Van Stratton was one who argued the case strongly and it was overturned. And, and he, Leon Flint, became the top rising star coming into this season. Again, I hope, I, I really do hope that Leon Flint is included in the rising star scheme again this season. Because, yes, next year probably should be his last um, and he has made a few steps in the right direction once again this year. But, yeah, that, that Rising Star uh, project, that programme and, and, and the way it's handled is, is something I think needs to uh, carefully be looked at and, and, and treasured as well because we, we have seen some, some good Rising Star uh, stories this season and, and Leon Flint has, has edged in, in the right direction once again as well. And just a quick line about Wolves now in the future. They've, they've obviously made it very clear that they are looking for somewhere new. Uh, Pete Adams has come out and said that he's not looking to go manage another team. He's going to put his weight behind um, everything that they need, that Wolves need to do to, to make that um, a reality. So now, really, the, the work begins, doesn't it, to try and get something sorted for 2025? Yeah, um, and uh, I'm sure you can imagine with, with the dedication of the people at Wolverhampton and the uh, Wolfpack Speedway support team as well. They've got they've got official management members and supporters as well who are continuing this push. And, and the talk is still about 2025. Obviously, if that is to happen, then some land needs to be found pretty sharpish because you, you're going to have to start from obviously start from scratch. So to turn it round in time for for March or April of 2025, um, it doesn't like I say it doesn't just happen overnight. So talking to everyone, obviously, while it was a bit of a uh, a sombre, strange occasion last Monday. There's still a lot of drive behind getting Wolverhampton back on track um, in in 2025, as you've said. And as I said, uh, the, the crowd that turned out at Monmore and the, the crowd that, that that was there week in week out to to be able to to lose a team that that carries that much good support on a, on a regular basis is just uh, mind blowing, really. So um, as Peter Adams as Peter Adams says, we. We may, may be dead, but we're not yet buried. And best of luck with everybody uh, in their efforts to bring Wolves back to the tapes as soon as possible. Another club that we're saying goodbye to are the Peterborough Panthers. Um, Dave, you work closely with the Peterborough Panthers. Um, just to get your thoughts on this, because, of course, there are one or two stories going around now, um, Speedway Star and elsewhere, with um, you know, stories of uh, a new consortium who are looking to, to take the club forward and maybe building up some some optimism. But as far as you know that there is no plan for Peterborough to be rescued uh, and back at the tapes of 2024. Sadly, I don't see it. Um, similar situation to, to Walls in that the 
current club ownership are contractually obliged to uh, basically get rid of any evidence of them being there. Um, different situation to Wolves in that uh, obviously Wolves is going to carry on as a, a Greyhound venue, um, whereas Peterborough is earmarked for development. The similarity there is with the Coventry situation, which I've been massively close to for for a number of years, and that's simply the case of owners stroke developers wanting to do something different with the site, um, believing that they can ride roughshod over local plans and, and what have you to get what they want. Um, so naturally and correctly and happily, there's all sorts of uh, local objections and national objections. It's great to see that is happening. Um, unfortunately, again, speaking from experience on, on, on Coventry, it's a long process and only now we're we're currently mid-inquiry on, on Coventry and that's taken best part of seven years. Um, I sincerely hope that's not the case at, at Peterborough, so the, the pressure needs to be continued to apply. But as far as I'm aware, there's no... There's been no indication whatsoever that uh, AEPG, who have, who have been in charge of this from the showground point of view, are in any way interested in having negotiations uh, to the possibility of allowing the sport back there. Um, you look at the, the hope, therefore, that, that maybe alternative land could be found for the club. The, again, AEPG have shown nothing um, that they would assist with with that taking place. Um, so yes, so the existing um, promotion, uh, fronted of course by by Keith Chapman, have had to fulfil their obligations to uh, to to take stuff away um, that was involved in the the running of Speedway. I know there's obviously um, there's a group of uh, of people, mainly local people, who are certainly very interested in in keeping the club going or, or getting it back running again. And um, we we read a lot on social media about how active they're going to be, which is which is great, and uh, certainly give them uh, plenty of credit for that, and hope that that can be done in, in, in a structured way. Um, clearly, at some point, they would have to have serious negotiations with Keith Chapman over the, the name of the club. Obviously, um, when a club uh, ceases to run for what you would call force majeure reasons, their licence will be put on ice for a certain time, whilst we wait and see whether there, there can be a solution. So I'm sure that would be the case with, with Peterborough. Buster said himself that he's beyond that now. Obviously, he wanted to basically stand down from Speedway a year or so ago when circumstances at both Peterborough and Kings Lynn uh, meant that that wasn't the case. Um, but he's also said, as as Dale Arrett as well, they are very happy indeed to talk to interested parties, give them assistance or whatever. So you'd have to have some serious negotiations first and foremost, but the big barrier there is that it appears that AEPG are not uh, are not wanting to talk. I wish they would. I wish they'd see the unpopularity they've caused. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, developers and so on tend to have uh, one aim in mind and, and the way in which they want to achieve it. So again, we just hope that, that, that Peterborough is not the end and they can find a solution fairly soon. A absolutely historic venue, one of the best racetracks in the country, one of the best racetracks beyond this country, to be honest, it's staged fabulous events. Um, they had their farewell, similar atmosphere to... Wolverhampton, of course, their farewell ended with a monumental crash in the final race with uh, Ryan Douglas and, and Niels Chris Neverson. So that was uh, that was uh, some some finale, and thankfully um, no massive damage done. Um, but um, yeah, very sad to lose two such well established clubs, at least for the short term, and at a time when we can't afford to be losing tracks. So just desperately hope that whoever, wherever, and whenever um, Peterborough can can resurface.
Yes, and again, um, we, we obviously, of course, want to see Peterborough back at the tapes as soon as possible. We'll talk about Coventry a bit later on, because obviously you mentioned there, Dave, you're firmly involved in that. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on that in a bit. Let's talk about Bellevue, get back to the Premiership. Um, Bellevue went into the season as defending champions. They got off to a bit of a tough start against Sheffield. I mean, if, if you're going to lose a couple of fixtures, really it's uh, you know hard one to take um, against Sheffield. Um, home and away is uh, an unusual start. But after that, and after that humiliation, really, in the knockout cup against Wolves, where it really did not go right at all on that Bank Holiday Monday fixture, um, everything then started to click a little bit more for Bellevue, and, and they got going and sort of romped away with the regular league heading into the playoffs. Yeah, they certainly were. I, I think you mentioned that uh, defeat to, to Sheffield on opening night, and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that was their only home defeat of the season as well. And um, the start they got off... It surprised a few. I always expected Bellevue to take a bit of time to, to, to get back into it, not because of the the, the tag of being reigning champions and, and the pressure or anything like that. Um, it, it was just the team that I felt would take a few meetings to get going. Like I say, once their dominance kicked in around the National Speedway Stadium and when that does happen, Bellevue are a, a very, very hard team to beat. Um, I think Wolves came close by getting a, a draw and then losing in a a super heat, but as the as the season went on, they they fully found the stride around the National Speedway Stadium. Um, I don't think there were any any weak links. Jamin Lidsey, I'll hold my hands up. I haven't seen too much of him on the continent over the past few years, so didn't really know what to expect. But um, the Jamin Lidsey I saw in the final few months of the season was like proper proper world class standard around the National Speedway Stadium in particular, just like absolutely flying um every time he was there. Um Dambuli's away form I think concerned a lot of people connected with Bellevue, but when you do have a break and let's still be honest, I know Dan Dambuli's a, a world class rider. There's still certain things he he'll still be learning along the way as well. Um Brady Kurtz, solid, reliable captain. I think Tom Brennan I think Tom Brennan's performances have kind of gone under the radar a little bit because I think when you look at his starting average, I'm pretty sure he's added over a point and a half, something like that. Um, so, yeah, for looking at it overall, though, I remember saying after they thrashed Leicester on that last bank holiday Monday in their last regular fixture, I did question whether a three-week gap between them racing the last regular fixture and the playoffs would play a part. Whether it did or not, who knows? Because obviously there were a couple of further enforced breaks for for other clubs after that as well. But uh, that the, the the damage was done uh, for them in that semi final first leg at Foxhall. I don't think anyone would have would have predicted that that would have been the outcome. Um, and as we saw, it was just too much to to overcome. And uh, yeah, there the will have been a, a lot of disappointment in Manchester this year. Quite the reverse of uh, of twelve months previous. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be looking to try and get that title back in 2024. Let's talk about Kings Lynn, who surely are hoping for a better season next season. It was again a case of best laid plans. They put a decent side together. There was always that gamble, though, wasn't there, with Christoph Kasprzak? That was where the jury was was out. Which one would we get? Alex Brady was pretty confident he'd get the uh, the Grand Prix former world number two. Um, unfortunately. We got um, the Christoph Kasperzak everyone feared and uh, it all turned into a bit of a disaster there. And then along comes Artem Laguta. Out goes Alex Brady. There was all sorts of chaos uh, on that front uh, with team changes. Um, 
Josh Pickering, of course, leaving and then going on to win the title with Sheffield. Uh, the track also causing a bit of uh, consternation among the riders who sort of found it difficult to get a regular setup as well. Yeah, it never got going for them, did it? From 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 the first lineup that they that they picked, and there were people um, raising question marks over the initial lineup, and um, they would say that uh, probably some of those were were founded. A very very ambitious move to uh, to bring in Artem Laguta. Um, ironically, of course, one of the riders they uh, they sacked effectively was one of the the great enigma of Christoph Kasprzak, um, who had actually been going very well at Kings Lynn. So. Yes, although they were struggling on the road quite clearly, um, bringing in Laguta for Kasprazak, and, and it had to be done due to the number of uh, Grand Prix, uh, number of uh, extra league riders you can you can have in a team. Um, it didn't actually improve things by any great deal at, at home. The other thing that, uh, that the problem Kings Lynn had was they seemed to be racing at home to Sheffield every other week, and Sheffield ride Kings Lynn better than Kings Lynn do by a long, long way. So there were some cricket scores racked up, which doesn't help uh, with your home crowd, doesn't help with the overall feel. Of course, Alex then stood down mid-season for a combination of reasons. Uh, various people had a go at team managing uh, whilst they sorted things out. Um, uh, Buster had a go. Uh, Rob Lyon came in, did a couple of meetings. Uh, eventually, David Hoggart came in to give them some some stability. And really, I think it's only in, only in the final few weeks when things did improve, and that was the signing of Robert Lambert. That that was a huge a huge boost for them at the end of the season. Um, he was involved in a couple of thrilling home matches. They they won one against Bellevue against all the odds. They lost against Ipswich in a close meeting. Um, Nikolai Clint had a really good season for them. Uh, he basically kept things going for a lot of the time but then right at the end the influence of Lambert and that reserve the scores racked in by Simon Lambert and Anders Rowe in those home matches were, were quite incredible so there were some bright spots um, biggest biggest bright spot of all for me there is the fact that that Buster Chapman effectively stepped back in and made sure that Kings Lynn not only completed the season but are committed to next year as well that's the most important thing um as far as what they do in the future goes i'm sure there'll be well there are plenty of rumors as to who will be fronting it next season uh, in terms of team management um that will no doubt become clear in the next couple of weeks but the most important thing is that they got through it and they'll be back again next year uh, I remember speaking to a, a fairly dejected Buster after um, we'd done one of the, the meetings with BSN um, after Sheffield had uh, beaten them, I think, for the second or third time that season. And, you know, he was he was not sort of happy with how this season is going. But then I saw on TV when... Um, when Eurosport were there, uh, Robert Lambert was knocking these points away for fun, and uh, it sort of seemed like he had a bit of a glint back in his eye, Buster, um, at that point in the season. Sort of seeing what what is possible potentially when you know you you have got it right. You know when you've got a decent lineup and and a, and a huge star, you know a, a big hitter like Robert Lambert fronting your side like that and uh, bringing those points home makes it a lot easier. Yeah, no doubt about that. And 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 Buster. Um, clearly enjoyed having Robert Lambert back on the scene um back from when he where he first kicked off his UK UK career back in 2013-14 now coming back as a as a world class rider um and actually I think Buster did quite enjoy the couple of matches he did as as team manager in in mid-season um his his love for the sport is still there there's no there's no question about that and Kings Lynn need a good season Kings Lynn need a playoff challenging season they did Top of the league a few years ago and, and missed out in the in the in the playoff in the grand final, but it, it's really since COVID it's not worked out for them. And um, hopefully, decisions they take over the over the winter um, will get them somewhere back into contention next year. 
I did. Um, I did hear that there was um, certainly talk that the, the the track surface might be reviewed for next season because they, you know, obviously they we're talking about the track conditions and not being able to get the right setup. That that might be an area that that's looked at ahead of next year to to try and get that consistency and, and a home advantage as such around around the Adrian Flux Arena. It's really hard to get the the track surface or the track conditions that all seven riders in one team want. I remember going there one night in, in mid-season when it was noticeably slicker. Um, and funnily enough, I actually did the timekeeping on that night and the, the heat one time was sort of four seconds adrift of the track record. And I was thinking, Christ, have I done something wrong here? But actually every time was was, was pretty similar. Um, and Simon Lambert hated it. Um, he wanted it grippier. Uh, he, he could cope with it more like that. Others didn't. And so to get all seven wanting it the same way is, I, I think, Probably if, if if they all knew what they were going to get the same every week, that, that would help. Um, but again, factors come into play on that in terms of the weather and, and other other issues. They have so much car racing there as well. Not easy, um, but I guess if they, get a seven, if they get seven riders sorted out, have a press day. That didn't happen for them this year either. It got rained off. They had a big pre-season practice schedule plan, which, which all got wiped out. Just the whole thing didn't, didn't work out for them and just refocus, reset and go again. Final club we haven't looked at is Leicester, who, uh, of course, fell at the very final hurdle, really, against Peterborough. Um, they, they had to, uh, well, just really see it home, didn't they? They had a, a decent lead um, and, uh, well, it all it all fell apart um, at the hands of Peterborough. Ironically, Chris Harris, of course, being uh, that man again, who, of course, dropped by Leicester comes in and uh, joins Peterborough and and uh, has uh, a, no small hand in in helping dispatch them out of the uh, the playoffs, which was a, a bitter pill to swallow, really, at that point in the season after things started so well for the first three months or so. Le- Leicester Leicester would have made the playoffs with their initial seven riders. I have absolutely no doubt at all about that. Um, and also Leicester would not have been dropping Chris Harris with their initial seven riders. I have no doubt about that as well. Um, the season was going well for them. Uh, Max Frick was sensational around the home circuit, breaking track records, coming from the back. They were having good racing. They were on a winning run. Everything was going well. And then they had the Nick Morris issue um, when he was obviously uh, suspended after the incident at, at Birmingham. Um, and then Stuart Dixon made his move uh, and he openly admits that at the time signing Troy Bachelor was a mistake. Um, it didn't work out, and what it also did was it left them with less room to play with when making the secondary changes. That's when they elected to sign Richie Worrell and Craig Cook, which was when Chris Harris missed out. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, you then have the feeling that Leicester were limping towards the playoffs, would probably still make it. Um, then Ipswich got on a run of form. Uh, Ipswich also won at Leicester during the course of that where Dan Thompson came back and had, had a storming meeting uh, but that probably wouldn't have made any, any great difference had it not been for the, the form elsewhere of Ipswich and then that crazy night at the showground when Leicester had been superb to win a super heat at Wolverhampton three nights earlier one of the best meetings I've seen all season uh, and Frick was just on fire that night and you thought well Leicester all they've got to do now is score 34 at Peterborough and again, the, the stars just didn't align for them on the night. Uh, they came into a Peterborough team who were at their strongest all season. Laguta was there and was clearly up for it. Um, and you just had the feeling as it went on that this something something special in that sense was, was going to happen, and, and it did. The one the one consolation I think for Leicester is that I think they knew that even if they'd made it 
to the playoffs, that lineup was not going to be able to to do anything against Bellevue as it would have been in the playoffs. So they pretty much achieved what they were going to achieve. I think it would have been nice for them to have fourth place on their on their record rather than fifth place and missing out. Largely, it was still a good season for them back in the Premiership when you compare where they were five, six years ago, last time at that level. It's just the last, those last six, seven meetings, all the trouble that, that was, you know, that, that came as a result, that leaves a bit of a sour, a sour taste. But generally, a, a good season for them, just the ending that went wrong. So what next for Leicester? Because we, we spoke to, to Damien Bates a few weeks ago, and obviously he, he mentioned that takeovers, um, obviously uh, potentially in the offing, the, the club up for sale, but um, very much the, the Bates family looking to get out of, of Leicester but um, also he said that there was no fears for Leicester heading to the tapes in 2024 either, so what's the latest as you understand it with that situation? Yeah, I believe that's still very much the case. Um, I, I don't see any reason why Leicester certainly wouldn't be at the tapes in the in the Premiership next season. That's uh, as I believe everything is heading towards that. Uh, I think it will be under a, under a new promotion, and hopefully it won't be too long before we find out uh, the details of that. Um, and as the Bateses walk away from from Leicester Speedway, um, Leicester Speedway fans should be very grateful for what they've done there. Um, Ryan will tell you how hard they work in in all aspects of, of business um, at Sheffield as well, and and their various um, interests outside of, of, of Speedway. Um, and they took on a club in 2017 that was struggling big time um, on and, and off track. And they have made substantial improvements. Um, bringing in Stuart Dixon during the championship era was a, was a big a big step forward. Um, and Leicester Speedway generally is, is a much happier place to watch the sport than it was um, in the previous era. So they, they can walk away knowing that they've They've improved the club no end uh, over their time there. And as I say, hopefully it won't be too long before we find out the full details of, of what's planned for the future. So the AGM is on the way. Um, of course, many conversations have been had already. Um, do we have the date? 15th, I think. 15th to 17th, I believe. 15th to the 17th, then, the uh, the all-important dates. Um, lots to be rubber-stamped, I guess. Um, conversations have already gone on, as, as people will probably uh, imagine, uh, to, to give a sort of a basic framework of things like points limits and so on like that. Um, a lot of teams clearly have a, a good idea of what they're going to be, but there are plenty of other things to be decided as well. Um, talk to us, Dave, about what's going to happen at the AGM, the sort of things they're going to be talking about. Um, probably, I guess, it's going to start with what they're going to do about the Premiership, because clearly uh, we're down to five clubs at this moment in time. Um, there's that dis- debate about who's going to come up and, and replace one of those sides. We need a 16 Premiership. That is the minimum, isn't it, that uh, the Premiership needs to operate at. So certainly someone is going to need to move up, and, and that surely is going to be the uh, one of the key debates um, at the AGM. I can't give you too many answers on that other than as, as you've mentioned I think it's be fairly clear that uh, that Birmingham would be the the ideal I suppose in many ways sixth club particularly because they uh, they have to run it would appear on Mondays if they can run at all next year and uh, guess you may have more information on that shortly um, AGM overall um, yeah, I mean, you, you've you've got the short-term issues of who's in which league and what's the points limit and all that sort of thing for next year, and I'm sure some some long-term chat as well because we need to be looking at, at the particularly overall stadium issues. Um, there was some good news this weekend about um, about Lakeside with the uh, with with the planning application being withdrawn there. So whether that's a potential for for the future, we'll have to wait and see. But lots of hard work has been done there. Um, but yes, no, you, you correctly identify the fact the Premiership is going to need a sixth club. Um, 
obviously we had seven um, this year, and many people would would like if, if ideally to to get it up to eight. But uh, but you've got to look at rider availability as well, and and, and what clubs can can run. Um, so a sixth club, yes, for the Premiership clearly is, is is crucially important, and I don't know who it would be if if not Birmingham. Um, as far as strength is concerned. I think there's a general feeling that the strength of the league this year was good. Um, certainly a lot more top riders in the league than was the case three, four years ago. That's been reflected in the crowds. Crowds have been strong. Um, I see, obviously, there, there is doom and gloom from certain quarters, but I don't see a great deal of doom and gloom crowd-wise in the Premiership. It's been generally good this year, and I think people have, re- have responded to the, the, the big names being there. So I'm sure the attitude will be to, to let's have a... A points limit that doesn't uh, detract from that, doesn't force teams into wholesale changes, um, because overall the Premiership product is strong. But obviously, like as you say quite rightly, uh, we need to know exactly who's in that league again next year. Yeah, that is the big question. Of course, that will require, likely, um, a team to step up from the Championship. Um, Birmingham, of course, have put themselves in the box position um, purely through Nigel Tolley revealing at this fans forum that you hosted, Ryan, um, that... um, uh, that Monday looked like being the night uh, that they were going to have to race because they were, the the likelihood is, is for for uh, grounds to be uh, happening on on the Wednesday night. So uh, Monday would be free, and of course, if you're racing on a Monday, then uh, that has to be Premiership Speedway in in British Speedway. It's the way it works. Um, I guess in the West Midlands there is a vacancy with Wolves not riding at this moment in time and so you can see where potentially the the synergy might be shall we say there's an opportunity there it's obviously not going to be the same not every Wolves fan is going to make the journey because it won't be the same for them but there'll be probably a few that will um, especially if you can pull a few uh, former Wolves riders across or whatever as well then that, that might help I think that's the general thinking maybe there. Yeah, um, and like Dave said, Birmingham would be the ideal choice. Nigel Tolley has already gone on record, as you pointed out there, as saying it's it's essentially Monday nights in the Premiership or, or nothing. Um, that's just the way the stadium situation is at the moment. And look, when Nigel Tolley told this to, to supporters, naturally there were a few grumbles, a few groans from Birmingham supporters because they, they kind of... They, they still re- remember 2014 um, under the, the, the Phillips regime where it just went totally, totally wrong um, for, for all the reasons well documented in the past. But I do think the top flight of British Speedway and almost Birmingham Speedway are in very different places to um, almost a, a decade ago. Um, and as, as we've just said there, it's essentially Monday nights or nothing. Even as far as... Uh, at the time of recording here, that there is there is no certainty either way, simply because trying to get an answer from the people where answers need to come from is proving almost impossible at the moment. Um, and we have to be careful what we do say, because I know that Greyhound bosses are reading and listening to anything where anything could potentially be mentioned at the moment. But I know that club bosses at Perry Bar have been trying to arrange uh, or rearrange, should I say, cancelled talks for, I think it's going on for, for nearly four months now. And we know that isn't a great indication, but they remain adamant. They need to sort a few things behind the scenes their end before they can have these talks with uh, Birmingham bosses about Speedway being at Perry Bar again in 2024. You've got to take your hat off to Nigel Tolley. Um, 
the crowd numbers at Birmingham, he, he goes on record year on year saying, look, they need to be better. Um, and they, 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 they're nothing fantastic at all. What they have got is a, a loyal core of supporters who, who, are, who bleed red and yellow. Um, as they say in the, in, in the, the local area. Um, and you have to take your hat off to Nigel Tolley because he remains fully committed to that cause. And even when people have voiced their concerns about Birmingham competing at the top level with the way certain rider demands have changed, etc., um, the outgoings and all of that, he, he remains adamant that, that, that he would he would see it through. And he's even even went on record and said, um, even if there isn't a future at Perry Bar, similar situation to, to Wolverhampton almost, if we don't compete in 2024, he would look at other other pieces of land and a way to get Speedway back to Birmingham uh, at some point in the future. Yes, he, I know he's been on this podcast and spoke about plans that in reality will probably never happen. I know he keeps going on about the, the Alexander Stadium, for example, just around the corner. Um I think that was a, a, a bit of a, a pipeline dream and stuff like that. But like I say, in, in the short term, it's just trying to get an answer out of the relevant Greyhound people because unless they unless they come up with an answer, um, then Birmingham won't be allowed to stage Speedway. That's the top and bottom of it. And as, as I understand it, uh, the BSP and the board of directors, they did give Birmingham an initial date to um, state their intention to run next year. As far as I know, they have now got until the AGM in the middle of November uh, to give a decision. So I know that Nigel Tolley um, in particular is, is pushing the Greyhound people, pushing the stadium landlord in as well uh, really, really hard to, to get these talks because um, those talks need to be had or Birmingham won't be on track next year, unfortunately. And it's frustrating as well because obviously Nigel Tolley's made no secret about how much money he's he's pumped into to Birmingham. Even on this podcast, you know, he's, he's sort of significant amount of money over a hundred thousand pounds of his own money uh and the rest as well so it's uh, it's certainly been an expensive project for him possibly even more expensive if he's uh, looking at installing a temporary track in the alexander stadium every fortnight i'm not sure anybody's actually uh informed phil morris that he's going to be in charge of l- looking after that as well uh but <laughs> that that would be uh i mean it'd be a fantastic venue for a for a one-off event wouldn't it uh, i suppose if if they could get permission to to put a track down there for a, a grand prix or something like that i know you never never say never uh potentially um we know that glasgow and Poole are not looking to move up we've already heard from danny ford and uh peter Fasena on on this podcast who have uh said as much and that's not something that's in their immediate plans going forward so if birmingham don't then you have that question as uh who is the likely candidate yeah uh and as you've said that the set race nights, I understand why it was brought in. I understand why, to a certain extent, it's still needed. But when you've got clubs, let's be realistic, Pool and Glasgow, maybe even to a, another extent, um, Oxford, maybe even Red Car, you don't know. Set race nights, Speedway fans, and I'm one of them, so I can say it and get away with it. Speedway fans are stuck in the ways and um, a set race night is their, is their race night, which is why clubs are hesitant to move away from it. If there was if there was a solution where you could keep some of these top names and move away from the set race nights, even if it was in a, a number one job role share or, or something, and look, there's loads of politics and ins and outs behind the scenes, but potentially that is something that may have to be looked at because as I've just said, that there's certain clubs in the championship which I, I'm I'm 
99.9% certain would jump at the chance of being a top flight club if it wasn't for the set race nights. Um, as you've said, looking to 2024, if Birmingham can't get on track and they aren't the sixth team, what genuinely what what does happen? I'm, I'm sure there will be contingency plans in place, whether it's one of the current championship crop can um, can be persuaded somehow to, to step up in, in some form, whether that be a, a direct jump. Who knows? Like you say, there's going to be a lot of plans going on behind the scenes. So um, th- there's got to be a contingency plan in place because the, the Premiership can't operate with, with five teams. Six teams isn't ideal, but we've seen it done and we've seen a way it can be run. Um, so like you say, I, I, again, uh, as Dave's already touched upon, no definitive answer can be given at this stage um but i'm i'm more than certain a contingency plan is in place should birmingham not be able to to come to the premiership tapes next season yeah certainly a case of watch this space but uh, certainly we will have six teams in the sports insure premiership in 2024 just a matter of who at this moment in time you're listening to no breaks no fear the official british speedway podcast i'm ian brannan alongside me ryan guest um speedway journalist reporter for the speedway star and center green announcer at a few clubs as well not least birmingham uh, wolves and uh, sheffield and dave rowe is with us as well uh, of course you may know dave from eurosport and many other publications uh, in the next part of no breaks no fear we'll turn our attention to the cab direct championship of course, we know we have uh, a new set of league champions in the Glasgow Tigers. The Pool Pirates had to settle for uh, runners-up medals in two competitions, but they did win the BSN series. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, championship and uh, how it might look, actually, in 2024 in the next part of No Breaks, No Fear. No Breaks, No Fear. The official British Speedway podcast. Welcome back. Um, I'm Ian Brannan, joined by Ryan Guest and Dave Rowe. Uh, Dave will talk to us about Coventry in a bit because he's involved in the fight to save Coventry Speedway. So we'll get the latest lowdown on that situation before the end. Right now, focusing on the Cab Direct Championship and probably be well aware by now, uh, if you're a fan of a a championship club, that uh, one or two sides are having to say goodbye to some well-loved riders. Um, For example, Pool Pirates uh, letting their captain, Steve Worrell, go. Um, Also, Louis Kerr departing the Oxford Cheaters as well, and uh, both citing the fact that there's no room to to fit them in in uh, the 2024 way things are going to operate. Um, Clearly, we've already touched on the National League and how that really is is going to be a a much different scenario. And really, it's a case of incorporating some of the best of the National League are going to be finding places in the Championship, really. And... um, it's, it's going to be a different dynamic to how the teams are built. Probably not so many big heat leaders, but uh, more opportunities for upcoming rising stars in Speedway, Dave. Yeah, and, and speaking from a personal point of view, um, for me, it's exactly the direction the championship should be going in. Um, we are now going to see a, a really defined gap between the premiership and the championship. For all sorts of reasons, the two leagues had come close together over the last uh, maybe five, ten years or so, the proliferation of doubling up um, started things, and, and once that started, it was very hard to limit it. Um, then, exacerbated by COVID, travel restrictions, uh, certain riders not coming over to the UK, but we've now seen that that gap with the riders coming back to the Premiership this year, the gap beginning to increase, and, and that that will be the, that that gap will continue to 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 move 
um, next year with what seems to be happening in the championship. And I think you talk about uh, the likely reduction in the championship uh, in a way f- forced upon them by the fact that if you look at the championship team from this year, just have a look at the number of heat leaders who, for various reasons, will not be available to championship clubs next year, either through um, retirement, possible retirement, or more likely, riders talking about focusing on Poland. Um, we've already had like Ryan Douglas, for example, not going back to Scunthorpe and not racing in the championship. Um, Josh Pickering also announced at the end of the season he was leaving uh, Edinburgh to try and make it in, in, in Poland. Um, and riders who unfortunately won't be available uh, on the suspension, or certainly rider, and who knows, maybe more, we don't know. Um, so the the strength in terms of riders available at the top of that championship is not quite what it was, uh, and therefore it would be very, very difficult to properly staff hopefully nine teams uh, at championship level with heat leaders to make it competitive as, as it was. And, as, and you say quite rightly, um, clubs such as Poole um, and Oxford this year and have, have done it with three very definite championship level heat leaders so that that will that will drop um clubs will still have completely the option of whether they want to build a a top heavy team i'm sure there'll be a way in which you can bring together a strong top three in that league um i'm sure people will be looking at doing that others will look to be more solid uh but undoubtedly it will open up opportunities for youngsters lower down and i would think that most if not all championship clubs will have a two-pointer, maybe two two-pointers at the tail end, riders who have graduated from the National League. And for me, that is not a bad thing at all. Um, these these lads have to be given the, the chance to move through, um, need to be protected as well, um, not dropped too quickly if they find they're going tough. Um, but I don't think, so speaking from a purely personal opinion, uh, getting this gap between the Premiership and the Championship is, 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 no, is no bad thing and it won't make the Championship any less competitive. Of course, all this is going to be confirmed at the AGM, but from what you understand, do you anticipate any further changes to life in the championship uh, other than the points limit, perhaps being the most significant one and uh, a similar sort of look? I mean, we had talk of two home and two away fixtures last season. Um, We've had obviously the BSN series, Knockout Cup as well. Do you you anticipate any other alterations that you uh, know of at this moment, Dave? Once again, it's not it's not something I can offer any uh, any great certainty over, other than I'm sure it's being being discussed. I think one of the reasons why the two home, two away was was taken off the agenda. Well, there, was, there were a couple of reasons actually, uh, because obviously it was announced towards the back end of last year that that was likely to happen, and then it didn't. So there were two reasons for that. One was uh, some concern over clubs who were operating in both the Championship and the National Development League having dates available to do both if they're only able to race once a week. So that was one concern. And obviously the other concern has been that the championship riders' requirements in Poland at weekends, limiting the amount of weekend racing in the championship. And again, that may not be such an issue next year. So whether it is possible to put together a fixture list that does include um, two home, two away, uh, involving nine teams, that would be... 16 home fixtures across the year and maybe uh, revamp the playoff structure as well. I don't know if that's a a possibility. Um, My, again, personal view has always been that supporters prefer league matches um, and the chase for the playoffs or or whatever. Um, And we see it um, again at Birmingham um, when it's a a league match. The 
the crowd is noticeably noticeably higher. So these are all things to, to, to consider as to whether there is the availability. One thing that I think is just is very, very clear, if a meeting gets postponed, uh, whether it be in April, May or whatever, um, I would love to see the restaging date announced, mandated to be announced within a week or so. There's no reason why why that shouldn't be the case, and then you you have much easier fixture planning. You wouldn't have these big gaps. The likes of the likes of Berwick and Edinburgh had enormous gaps in their championship fixture list this year, and that cannot help um, with attendance levels when you finally get going again. So keeping meaningful speedway going throughout a consistent spell, particularly in the summer, I think is all important, and and that that I think is going to be absolutely crucial in terms of planning fixtures yeah i think with the with the playoffs the the six team idea was a you know i think it's always good to try try these things and see how they work out but i think in hindsight that uh come the reckoning i think certainly fans found it maybe a bit confusing as well um you know the the whole sort of league because if you had one bad fixture you were you were really sort of nailed on almost to, to be out of it straight away so you might as well just have had the four teams for for it was worth. And you go any bigger than that, then you're not really in playoffs anymore, are you? Because the entire league's involved in it. Yeah, it's, it's certainly something I had mixed feelings on. Um, top six in a in a nine team league doesn't seem right to me. Um, and the way the league split up, the top five, I would say, from a couple of months into the league campaign, were more or less nailed on and secure in the championship, and that left. That left a four-team mini-league battling it out for, for one spot. Um, and like I say, this is where I've got mixed feelings on it because whichever team got into sixth were going to be battered in the playoffs. Um, and I remember saying to Birmingham bosses, I was like, when they, when they missed out, I said, is that a blessing in disguise? Because Birmingham would have had no chance against the, the, the opposition they'd have ended up, up against, with, particularly with everything they got going on. Um, on the other side of the coin... And yes, you could say this is where team building may need to be fairer and this is what the reduction's been brought in for. On the other side of the coin, for the teams of for the teams like Edinburgh, Birmingham, Berwick and Plymouth, it gave everyone something to aim for because I don't know how, talking from a, a Birmingham press side, I don't know how we'd have built some of those fixtures up if there was nothing on the line whatsoever. And that's talking from, from May onwards. Um, so mixed views... Mixed views on it personally. I don't. I don't know what Dave's overall thoughts are on, but I, I think it certainly needs looking at because even if you'd have had the the top four, obviously the the battle for fourth place between um, but Scunthorpe and, and Redcar would would have been enough to to generate uh, plenty of interest on the outside. I know that much. Yeah, I, I'd personally like. To, I, I'd go down the route of more more meaningful league fixtures, even if they run into the first week in September. And I hesitate to say we, we should go on later because we know what's happening in October. But I think if you could run league matches into early September and then leave the rest of September for a, for a playoffs involve, involving four, I don't think that would be a, be a bad thing at all. Um, I, I take on board Ian's points about the the playoffs with the uh, with the group stages and bearing in mind he was involved in, in covering many of them. What I would do is give some kudos for one change that was made last winter and that's the aggregate point. Uh, I think the aggregate point bringing that back was a, was a massive massive step forward and of course it was played out in the in the Glasgow-Oxford uh, playoff when that when that group was absolutely crucial that, that, that Glasgow needed to win uh, at Ashfield and also get the aggregate point um, and, and that was all important and I, I just think the aggregate point has added so much more interest to, to second legs over the course of the year so that was one massive plus point from last year's AGM and, and I'm sure that will continue 
Yes, definitely keep the aggregate bonus point because that has certainly given a new meaning to to some fixtures and some extra excitement as well. And super heats in the championship as well, I think, have been fun. I know not everybody likes them, but I love them. I think they're great. Bit of excitement. Um, yeah, I, and and I commentated on the first one in the championship as well between Red Car and Pool, and it was it was good. It was really fun. I've had a couple of super heats when we've been on BSN. It's been um, yeah, they've been uh, they've been fun. Um, Maybe not for the fans of the teams involved, but from a neutral point of view, they were. Um, One other thing that might be different, um, Phil Morris, of course, was not CEO this time last year. Um, And, you know, he spoke on this podcast at the start of the season saying that, you know, obviously he he started relatively late um, and was unable to really make things exactly how he would like them. It's going to be interesting to see what Phil brings in because I think there will be some some noticeable changes to how the sport runs. And, um, well, one thing he, he did mention on this podcast at the start of the season, um, case in point, being countdown clocks at the start. So uh, I would prepare for that to come to the table. I'd like to see that. Uh, countdown clocks have been a, a topic of conversation for a number of years in, in UK Speedway. And, of course, the rule at the moment is that the rider has to be on the track moving towards the start line at the expiration of two minutes and then, then you'll be okay and the reason for that was we had incidents of riders uh, shooting across the centre green and wiping out all manner of cabling and possibly wiping out people as well which obviously can't can't happen so uh, that's why we brought it back to um, being on track in moving towards the start line but obviously if we have if we use the clocks universally then you can uh, still make that the case that you have to be at the start line um, as you do see in the Grand Prix for example or, or, or in Poland and if you're not on track in time or if you're on track with 15 seconds to go you're just going to get get around there pretty quickly but still using the, the confines of the track to do so so I'd certainly do that um, no, no doubt about that um, and yes there were there were all sorts of there were little things that some people wouldn't even notice that were brought in this year um, with the with the arrival of Phil as CEO. Um, there were ways in which certainly televised meetings were were more efficiently run. Premiership meetings as a whole were more efficiently run in terms of timings, track gradings. I, so, I it frustrates me when I see criticism that meetings overrun um, beyond two hours and so on and so forth and that that simply doesn't happen now certainly in the premiership and in most other venues too unless you have an incident uh, a big crash or medical attention or fences need to be repaired generally clubs particularly running in midweeks are very very efficient and these meetings are finishing at 10 past 9 routinely and that's a concerted effort so again these these things are going forward and there'll be more talks this winter about where you where you can make meetings again more efficient and i suspect more uniform yeah, that uniformity is certainly something that Phil mentioned at the start of the season um, to, to make it in line. You know, the same rules wherever you are. Uh, it might not be um, in one go, but um, I think that's certainly where it's heading. So far as the um, championships concerning, in terms of the uh, the silverware, the uh, well, the the three winners of the three trophies were the Pool Pirates. Um, of course, the Glasgow Tigers winning, well, Paul Pirates winning the BSN series first, um, Glasgow Tigers winning the league title, and then uh, latterly the Scunthorpe Scorpions uh, defeating the Pool Pirates for, uh, well, uh, for another trophy. Um, it's been a hard year for the Pirates and for Neil Middleditch coming uh, close, but uh, not quite close enough as far as some silverware this season. But say they did get that, uh, that early piece of uh, silverware, the BSN series. Um, let's start with Glasgow, though. First league title in a very long time and certainly the first major silverware under the uh, the Facena era more importantly as well um and 
well, who else but uh, Chris Harris to uh, to bring home the title at Pool of all places as well. Yeah, well done to Glasgow. Um, they have been trying for such a long time. They have had so many near misses in, in, in playoffs over the years, grand finals that have not gone to plan. Um, you have to give them immense credit for the way they uh, attacked that grand final. Um, funnily enough, I was under, I, I formed the impression in the first leg at against Poole at Ashfield that they'd missed a massive opportunity because they got themselves well in front in the first seven or eight heats then the whole thing just stalled and I thought that Poole had got out with just about what they would need to turn it round at, at Wimborne Road but massive credit to Glasgow in that second leg they got off to a flying start that heat 1-5-1 from uh, Chris Harris and Tom Brennan made a massive difference to me Poole never got going and Glasgow of the two legs were the the better side so it was dramatic obviously they only just got through um, at the expense of Oxford in, in the group stages obviously the team change late season with Vadim Tarasenko coming in um, was much talked about and it was within the rules and, and they brought in a, a very high standard rider to, to come in um, funnily enough with, when you look at the points he scored certainly towards the end uh, it wasn't so much that it was the fact that it enabled them to move Tom Brennan to number two. That gave the team a heck of a lot more balance. Um, and they got the better of, of the, the main rivals at the end. So a uh, lot of work's gone in there over the years on infrastructure at the track and, and having strong teams year after year. Um, Chris Harris was absolutely sensational in that grand final, home and away. Um, rode that Glasgow track like nobody else could. The races where he got outgated and he just rode round people on a, on a completely different track effectively so well done to Glasgow and in a lot, a lot of ways quite nice that the, the main silverware in that league was was, was shared round yeah and uh, the knockout cup of course Poole have won everything since they moved up to uh, moved up or down to, to that level of speedway in uh, starting in 2021 um, so the knockout cup goes into new hands as well with the Scunthorpe Scorpions sealing that with uh, um, uh, well it wasn't a victory on the night at Poole but it was very very close to it and of course Scunthorpe held Poole very close indeed, didn't they, uh, on their on their previous visit as well. So, um, really, you fancy, I think Scunthorpe has certainly done the best at Wimborne Road. Wimborne Road not being a happy hunting ground as far as uh, silverware is concerned this season for uh, for the Pool Pirates, who've sort of found it tough on those big those big nights when the uh, when the trophies uh, are at stake. Yeah, they certainly did, um, and I know. Uh... Danny Ford. In fact, everyone connected with with Paul because of the expectation, which is something we've spoken about quite a bit um, in this podcast. is is obviously is higher, arguably, than anywhere else down at Wimborne Road, particularly um, at the level they're currently racing at. But uh, full credit and congratulations to the Scunthorpe Scorpions. They're normally a team, normally a club. You know what you're going to get strong at the Eddie Wright Raceway not usually so strong on on the road but like you say every single time they've been to Wimborne Road and and visits to Dorset this year they have been absolutely superb Ryan Douglas I know absolutely loves that circuit as well Um, and he's played a a big contribution on on each result Um, like you say to to, to be able to take an advantage down to Wimborne Road they were they were confident four points had stood them in good stead. A lot of outsiders and, and neutrals weren't too sure, but it was a fantastic display in, in tough conditions um, from both sets of riders, but the Scorpions, like I say, through uh, Ryan Douglas, Simon Lambert, I know as, as club captain, who's got a long association, it, it meant the world to, to him as well. Um, and obviously the side story, and there normally is one um, in, in any of these competitions with the way riders move around, but 
the performance of, of Drew Kemp scoring double figures as well. I know there were um, a lot of people un, unhappy with certain celebrations afterwards because a lot was said about the way Drew um, supposedly interacted when they won the league in, in 2022 after because he'd had a, a disappointing grand final himself. But um, fair play, he's a, he's a rider who's come back after missing out initially on team selections at the start of the season. He's he, He's come back. Um, and like you say, his performance for, for Scunthorpe in that second leg of the, the cup final at Wimborne Road was superb. And it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased for, for, for Rob Godfrey and, of course, Dave Pete, who's, who's had a lot of um, personal issues, a lot of personal battles uh, away from the track as well. And I know he's stepping down. So um, a nice way for him and Ryan Douglas to, to depart the Scorpions now. And uh, nice to see them back amongst the honours as well. Yeah, and a uh, yeah, big... Winter ahead, really, for Scunthorpe. I know that you know Rob uh, certainly had his eye on the league title, and that just proved to be um, a slight stretch too far this year with the way things went. But they did get that silverware in the knockout cup, which they're going to be chuffed with. Um, as you mentioned, they're going to need a new team manager. They're going to need a new number one because Ryan Douglas uh, is is leaving. Similar for the Pool Pirates with uh, with Steve Worrell, the the captain um, who's leaving the, the Pirates due to the average situation we've, we've, we'll talk about. Um, so some big changes to come with, with those sides heading into next year. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's exciting in a way as well. Um, obviously, it's always good to have a certain um, amount of riders who, who stick with the club for a long period of time for association, obviously for, for home supporters, particularly junior supporters, riders they can relate to and are, are used to on that front. But like I say, with the two leagues, kind of a, a bit of that gap being opened up once again, um, I, I think it is something that that, that is, is much needed. So, um, yeah, interesting team building ahead. I think we're going to see various different ways of teams being built against. And when you look at how Poole built theirs and, and Oxford built theirs, um, and someone like Red Car, who kind of packed it a, a little bit more, there's there's no right or wrong way of doing it. Um, it's about what, what, what clicks over over the, the, the race night throughout the season. So, um, as always, there's going to be riders who rock up at clubs that, that, that aren't going to surprise you. And then there's going to be one or two signings, which, uh, which I think will surprise a, a few along the way as well. We've been talking quite a bit about you know doom and gloom and tracks shutting down and, and all this, but we should say welcome to the championship, the Workington Comets, who are back. Of course, they won everything that there was to win in 2018, and they weren't able to defend it. There are one or two Workington fans that see 2024 as their chance to defend their title. Uh, might be grasping at straws a bit, but great to see the Workington Comets back where they left off. Uh, in effect, back in 2018, back at championship level, they've already made a bit of a start to uh, to signing riders with Sam McGurk being confirmed as being part of that championship team. Um, and it just shows what can be done um, when you put your mind to it and you have all people pulling in the right direction. And, you know, to see a track like Workington back again, which is going to bring some fantastic racing. And I can't wait to see what some of these riders are going to make of it. And of course, it's going to be a bit of a curveball for many riders as well and many teams but won't have visited this track before. So Workington certainly going to have a bit of home advantage there. Yeah, I've, I've only heard uh, good reports from from anyone who's been to Workington. I haven't had the uh, pleasure of uh, visiting that part of the world my, my, myself yet. But um, like you say, positive reports from um, supporters, management members, riders, 
um, about everything, the, the, the way the whole new setup is there. I know with the Saturday afternoon start time they've been doing as well, that they, they kind of make a, a day of it. I know they've been having um, either live music or other sporting events on after the, the, the racing as well. Obviously, whether that can continue at, um, at, at championship level, that only remains to, to be seen, I think. Um, like I say, a hugely, massively story, and I think it's something that... Um, I think it's something that a lot of other clubs who who have doubts about their own stadium or haven't currently got one can take a a, a lot of uh, a lot of positives and, and hope from as well moving forward. And like you say, it's not I'm, I'm not exactly surprised to see them stepping up to the championship anyway. Um, I know they've already announced uh, Sam McGurk's going to be following them from the the National Development League as well. And uh, as yourself and Dave have already touched upon in this podcast, that that's the sort of uh, level and standard of reserve that that I expect to see in the championship in in 2024, and I think that's brilliant for for British uh, youngsters up and coming th- through the ranks as well. And I think I saw her on social media over the weekend as well, uh, Craig Cook having a, a spin around there, and obviously the the, the local lad and, and the whole story that that he could bring. I think that'd be uh, that'd be brilliant if if the Comets could um, get Cookie to to rejoin them as well. And um, I think also for for Craig Cook that'd be um, quite an important move as well because for, for 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 many different reasons, everyone knows he's been quite unsettled um, over the past few years, and I think rejoining his his local local club as such. Uh, it could be a big story for him. So we'll wait and see if anything develops on that or whether it was just a, a social media tease. But like you say, it's a, it's a great story with everything that Steve Lawson and the team have done up at up Workington. Um, and as you say, with what they achieved in, in 2018, um, yeah, there'll, there'll certainly be some, some high expectation uh, back in the championship at uh, up at Workington in 2024 as well. Yeah, I, I went to the National League Riders Championship uh, you know, for BSN and that's the first time I've been um, and uh, actually was the final fixture for me this season. But what a fantastic place. It, you know, the, it, anybody who's going to be building a track, they need to go there and have a look at what they've done because what they've done is they've dug out all the you know the the earth to, to make the track but rather than ditch it in the back of a truck and drive it off they then used that to provide the banking around the track for supporters to stand on so you look down onto the track you've got no problem seeing over air fences you don't need a great deal of terracing because you can just stand all the way around the track and look down at this bowl and the rider's going sort of slightly underneath you it's a fantastic way of doing it and of course they're adding to it now they're putting seating in and you know building things up over over time and it probably look different next year but it's you know it's a good little blueprint on how to do a track i would imagine i don't think it was cheap but uh, relatively cheaply i suppose in, in a basic way but also in quite a cool way um and yeah it's it's a fantastic job a great track fast racing there's so many lines um Steve Lawson was saying that they had the help of Bellevue and and obviously they didn't quite have the same amount of space, but what they did have was a bit more width, and so they've made the track purposely one metre wider than Bellevue just because they can. Uh, but that actually that actually adds to the um, to the racing line, so you've got so much more room. Another interesting thing from it is they they bought the tapes from Newcastle and they unfurled the tapes across the track and the tapes 
stretched exactly halfway across the track. So that just shows you how how much wider it is than the Newcastle's old track. It's literally double the width. So um, the, the, some when you think of some of the riders that are going to go there, like you know Bomber um, or uh, I don't know, say Steve Worrell or these you know more experienced riders going to be blasting around there. It is it is going to create some pretty exciting racing and um, some you know riders sort of likening it to a sort of a mini Bellevue if you like. And so that's you know great facility to have and, and great that some you know bigger teams are going to be visiting there and uh, all all power to them showing how it's uh, how it can be done you know when you lose your club and you, you fight on and these things can come back eventually um on that note dave um what's the situation with coventry because that obviously is something you're uh, very much involved in and people may have been watching the uh the online streaming and uh, and what have you on 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 that it, sort of hit a bit of an impasse at the moment i think haven't you but uh, that that's still ongoing, the uh, the inquiry over what happens next. Yeah, the inquiry was um, adjourned, suspended, call it what you will, um, at the back end of, of uh, September. Not for any issue involving ourselves. Um, bearing in mind this is actually an inquiry, effectively it's um, the developers against the council because the council rejected their planning application and we, as in, when I say we, I mean Save Coventry Speedway, and what's known as a Rule 6 party, an interested third party, who of course have been heavily involved. The actual reason why the inquiry was adjourned is an issue to do with potential NHS funding um, were development to be to be granted. So we aren't involved in that, but, but in terms of getting the people together to sort that out, that's now taking place at the end of November. The crucial thing that follows is the closing statements which i think are scheduled for the 29th of november and that is when the barristers of all three parties so the developers um the council themselves and ourselves um will all have an hour to sum up their views of the inquiry i know a lot of people have have watched the inquiry with a great deal of interest both inside and outside the sport People will have seen Phil Morris appear, Chris Van Stratton appear, Matt Ford appear, which obviously raised some eyebrows given the uh, the previous history between Coventry and Paul going back many, many years. But Matt Ford is, was clearly very, very passionate about, about what he was saying. I know there was a great deal of frustration about some of the stuff that was being said about Speedway in general uh, by other parties and... Don't get me wrong, there were times when I was sitting in front of my laptop and wanting to throw a brick at it with some of the stuff that that was being said and also trying to, hoping that the uh, legal guys, the barristers, would would try and push points through further, um, especially when stuff was being said that patently was was, was not correct. Um, What you have to bear in mind is that this is all part of an endgame going towards these closing statements. If you take a point too far during the actual... um, inquiry process then there's always the chance that the other side can come back via re-examination and try and cover off the point so you take it to a certain point you can and then hopefully you make your mark in the in the closing statement so that's where it goes at the end of november everyone gets their say and then the um the inspector will take further time to consider i wouldn't expect a verdict on this until into the new year uh, bearing in mind we're looking at the end of november for the closing statements um it's definitely a case that Speedway will take a, a keen interest in, regardless of whether it's Coventry or not, because this is this is a case that if if it goes against Coventry, if the developers get what they want, then effectively they will feel they've got a blueprint for what they can do to stadiums in future. So a lot of people don't want it to happen. Quite clearly, um, Sport England are very much behind 
Coventry, um, the BSP are very much behind Coventry, the SCB, all the authorities. There's only one group that want it to happen development-wise, and that's the developers themselves. Um, but it is so, it's so high power now, it's so legal, um, it's so serious. I mean, I wouldn't have believed when this thing first started in 2016 that it would get this far and get this serious. As I say, it now comes down to this final couple of days at the end of November. Then we wait and see. Um, and then if the verdict goes the way we all hope it does, then obviously it will open up more options for what may happen in future. Have there been any surprises um, brought you know, to your attention, really, from, from the other side? Things that you weren't aware of. Obviously, you go into to battle um, knowing what you know at that point, but has anything come up that's maybe caught you out, that's, uh, or, or do you feel as confident as when, as when you started this appeal process? I think we've all learnt, and I, and I, I never... I'm not saying I don't fully understand the inquiry process, but in terms of how much documentation had to be submitted and you watch it back and you're, the amount of time that's apparently been wasted by people saying, I'm now taking you to CD, core document 14.3, paragraph 2, section 5, and, and everything has to be has to be documented. My frustration about it has been the fact that this is an inquiry where the council rejected planning permission on Brandon to build a housing estate and a football pitch. That is what the developers are appealing, but what the inquiry has been has been so much more of a wide-ranging investigation into speedway, stock car racing as a whole. And to me, uh, that that surprised and slightly disappointed me because that wasn't really, or shouldn't, in my view, have been, been the issue. Certainly the, the evidence for the need for Speedway, the demand for Speedway, the viability of Speedway at Coventry is there. There's no question about that. Um, and the lack of knowledge about Speedway in general from some parties and specifically of the operations of Coventry from certain people who were brought into that inquiry... Um, I think disappointing is one word I'd use for it. Um, and it's something that I think probably everyone will look back on the the tape, the audio of, of eight or nine days of, um, of of talks and inquiry to see exactly what was said. Um, but certainly massive thanks go out to Phil and to CVS and to Matt Ford and to Steve Reese on the stock car side of it and to Dave Carter, who is part of the Coventry campaign group and is a planning expert and has done a done an absolutely marvellous job in an area where many of the rest of us wouldn't have had a clue. So if you look at the quality of witnesses supplied, certainly from the, the Coventry side of it, to me, they were more credible than what we saw elsewhere. But we will have to wait and see what the inspector says, um, because this, as I say, is far more far more high profile or far more high, high power than anything we've done before. Yeah, well, uh, the very best to look with that, because I think everybody would love to see Coventry back. And uh, that curveball of Coventry back under the promotion of, of Matt Ford would be something that uh, nobody would have predicted a decade ago, at least. <laughs> it wouldn't. There, but but what, what, what there was, was there was, there was obviously enormous rivalry between the Coventry and the pool promotions over the years. There was enormous fallout. We can't, uh, we can't uh, dress that up, no, no doubt. But what it also meant was that when Coventry and Paul went head-to-head on track, there was some absolutely stunning speedway, whether it was league matches or playoffs or whatever. There were so many memorable events. And, and if, if it happened, if Matt Ford was to run Coventry, he made mention of, of it during the inquiry that he's got a very, very, very strong asset base, um, that would certainly not be used to the detriment of Paul, no question about that, but there's no doubt that he would he would want to build teams that 
probably if they were in the same league, he'd want Coventry and Paul to both make the make the grand final and then sit back and watch the sparks fly. So um, he's got a fantastic record in promotion at Paul. We know that um, success on and off the track. Um, so when it came up, it, it was it was a no brainer. And to have him involved in in the scene and to get Phil there on the day and, and for CVS to turn out given everything going on at Wolverhampton and, and, and speak on, on, on the, in the way he did um, just showed the way everyone, everyone's come together on this and uh, yeah we're just all hoping it's the right outcome Yeah, fingers crossed then for uh, the end of November and uh, for the fight to save Coventry Speedway and well done for everything that you and uh, everyone else is involved in that has, has done Dave as well because without you taking that fight uh, well we know what would have happened by now uh, but the stadium is still standing there and uh, you know it's through your work that, that that remains the case and there is still that argument to be had so um, fantastic um, work for everything that's gone there and hopefully it all is rewarded in the right way at the end. I'd, I'd also mention, obviously, Jeff, Jeff Davis has been absolutely driving force in this, and he he really is the person that, that, that keeps it going, particularly during the, the busy time in the season when the Speedway season is actually taking place. Not only is he out and about taking photographs at, at actual venues, uh, but, but Jeff Davis has done an, an incredible job on this campaign, and the amount of information that's gone through him over the years is absolutely extraordinary. So for all the people that we want this to succeed, for the fans, obviously, but, but Jeff Davis has been an incredible driving force. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. Well done, uh, Jeff, uh, as well. Um, fingers crossed for for the right outcome very, very soon. Okay. Well, look, um, we will catch up after the AGM then um, in in mid November, and um, we'll see if uh, all that we've just talked about is uh, st- stands up to uh, stands up to the test, and uh, we will know things by by fact by then as to uh, where things are heading, who's going to be where, hopefully, and probably. Uh, probably quite a few more um, team announcements as well, Ryan, you would expect by then. Yeah, you would certainly think so, um, even though I believe there's an unwritten rule somewhere that you're not meant to start anything until the AGM is uh, is done and everything's decided. Um, obviously, if you if you snooze, you lose, they say. So um, a lot of promoters well, well on the ball, well ahead of the game. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if the, the majority of clubs have already got four or five or maybe even six riders signed up um, and like you say, it's going to be interesting to see where where some of these riders end up. And um, like I say, unfortunately, um, just because of the way that the team situation is, particularly in the Premiership, uh, some are some are going to miss out as well. So um, we seem to say it at this time every year, but an interesting few months ahead. Indeed, lots to be sorted out, and um, well, you'll find out about it first on the official British Speedway channels, including on the main website, of of course, the uh, British Speedway website, uh, and also on any of the official social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, That is where official statements will arrive first from the AGM, which uh, gets underway on the 15th of November. It might take a few days, or it might be done sooner than that. So uh, as soon as things are confirmed, uh, we will bring you them, and we will do another episode of this podcast as soon as there's any news to bring you to talk through the decisions, the uh, the new rules, if there are going to be any, and uh, how things will look in 2024, we'll, uh, we'll bring you that from those making the decisions on this podcast. So make sure you like or subscribe and follow the podcast so you don't miss that when it happens, but it'll be out as soon as the AGM is done and as soon as we can get the interviews in the can, uh, we'll bring you it. So it'll be around uh, mid-November and uh, we'll look ahead with certainty to what 2024 will have in store. Have a great couple of weeks, and we'll be back with you as soon as there's any news regarding how Speedway will look for next year. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back with another episode of No Breaks, No Fear very soon. No Breaks. 
No Fear, the official British Speedway podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.